Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher kitshanu bemitzvotav vetzivanu, laasok bedivrei Torah, veharevna Adonai Eloheinu et divrei Torateka, befinu ufi amka Israel. Venie anaknu, veza etza enu, veza etza e, amka vitisrael. Kulanu yodea shemeka velom de torateka lishma. Barukata donai, ham lamed torah leamo yisrael. Baruch haba beshem adonai. Like to welcome you back to the Garrett to the Romans podcast. We are in chapter three, and we finished uh, the last podcast with verse five talking about um, if our unrighteousness brings out and highlights the righteousness of, hang on, between sources here, the righteousness of God, what shall we say? God, if not, God is not unrighteous to inflict wrath, is he? So picking up with this, because we talked that, there are people who walk in the righteousness of God with this external appearance, but yet inside there's a lot of things that are not there that are going on. And, you know, this is how you can encounter, you know, uh, a synagogue or a community and you are not Jewish and you get encouraged to not convert, you get encouraged to keep what's called the Noahide laws, and then you get encouraged remain as you are, or if you really want to convert, you get denied uh, multiple times unless you jump through certain hoops. Now, of course, it's not like that at Sar Shalom. We encourage people to come in uh, if you're Jewish or not, and we have conversion classes. We have three of them, in fact, and they're all based off the pillars of Torah, which are Torah, Avodah, Chesed, as we learn from the Pirkei Avot, Torah being, you know, the ways of God, the, the Holy Bible, the scripture, the written and the oral, which is the Mishnah and the Gemara and all the Midrash and the Agada and the Halakha and things like that. And then we have the Avoda, which is prayer, the service of the heart, the labor of the heart. And so obviously we encourage people to pray. And, you know, we have three prayer services. And then we have an extra one on the Shabbat called the Musaf. And then we have the Chesed, which are the acts of kindness. And so this is all of our charity. This is our paying our tithe. This is... Um, you know, clothing those who need clothes, uh, going out to visit and heal the sick. And this is, you know, taking in the orphans, the widows, the fatherless, you know, things like that. And so we go through these different uh, courses just as a, a beginner launch platform, so to speak, into walking as a covenant individual that's a part of a body and so that's being a Jew because Judaism is basically one body of many members and you know obviously Shaul Hashliach talks about that in his letter to the Corinthians and you know it's really something that we have to understand coming from outside in you know we have 
the Christian mindset that seems to be predominant in the world, looking at the Bible as a non-Jewish piece of text. And it's like, you know, don't worry about being under that old law, that old covenant stuff. You know, everybody's free to come in and love God and come as you are, this whole kind of mentality. But what the church fails to understand and what Christianity fails to teach is the oral Torah, which lines everything up in its proper fashion and manner. Even more so because of a lack of the oral Torah, the very writings of Shaul Hashliach are used as lawlessness. So it's like a progenitor of lawlessness, a promoter of lawlessness. And so even some of the things that we're going to talk about today, because um, when we get down into the teens here, uh, let's see, for instance, if we go down to verse 19, says, now we know that whatever the Torah says, it says to those within the Torah, so that every mouth may be shut and the whole world may become accountable to God. Which is interesting because it's like, so what about the people who are not within Torah? And what are the implications of that? And then going into verse 20, it says, no human on the basis of Torah observance will be set right in his sight for through the Torah comes awareness of sin. And so it's just kind of like, okay. So when you really look at things like that, this is Jewish thought. So as a Jew, you know, what do you do for those who are not within the bounds of Torah? Obviously you want to encourage them to come within the bounds of Torah if that's not the case, then our father Abraham wasted his whole life. We're talking 175 years of life. He wasted it because Abraham, up until the point of him knowing Hashem, he pursued Hashem with all that he had. Starting in his late 40s, he rejected the Tower of Babel. Okay, that, that's codified in Jewish literature. The people of the Tower of Babel were coming for Abraham. They were like, hey, you're a very strong man. You're very smart. You're amazing. We could really use your help. And he was just like, uh, yeah, what you guys are doing is low kosher, low beseder, low tove. And ain't nobody got time for that. So he despised them and they despised him. And there you have it. And so from that point on, uh, he went to the fiery furnace, you know, Nimrod threw him in there because, you know, King Nimrod was the man at the time. And he thought he was God, just like Nebuchadnezzar did to Dan or to Daniel and his compadres. He thought he was the man at the time. So it was just kind of like, wow, okay. So this man thinks he's God. Little does he know he's going to die soon and all this kind of stuff. So, um, you know, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah refused to bow to Nebuchadnezzar. And they were also thrown in the furnace. Just like Abraham, our forefather, refused to bow to Nimrod. And he was thrown in the furnace. So when you really look at all of these imprecations, it's just kind of like, okay, so Abraham really 
you know, was uh, zealous for Hashem. He went out, he proselytized, you know, he and his wife, Sarah, Sarah proselytized to the women, Abraham proselytized to the men. They all taught their whole household, everyone who decided to join them. They taught all of them to flee idolatry, walk in the covenant way and manner with Hashem, which comes through upholding his Torah. But it's not just that. It's not just that they taught people to uphold the Torah. They taught people to have a regenerated life with Hashem, come into covenant with him. There's a circumcision, there's a mikvah, and then there's living as an offering unto Hashem. So, you know, there's a whole process that comes in before you even begin to really walk in the ways of God. Walking in the ways of God are, are a follow-up. Just like when a man and a woman get married, married people, the way they live their married life, that comes after they enter into covenant with one another. You don't have a bride and a groom acting married before they're underneath the hoopah. There's no touching. There's no marital relations. There's no living together. There's no paying bills together. There's none of that going on before they enter into covenant underneath the hoopah. But yet after the hoopah, they live together, they cohabitate, you know, marital relations, they build family, they have household, like all this stuff. It's the same thing with Hashem. So you realize that this message of forsake the Torah is completely all out of whack because it's like, yeah, you need to come into faith with God. Now that you're in faith with God, forget about living faithfully to God. Because you know the Torah teaches us how to live faithfully with God and for God and unto God. So, you know, the message that's taught today is, you know, get married to God, kind of. And once you are kind of married to him, kind of do things with him. And most of us with common sense know that a kind of marriage is no marriage at all. Because I'm sure the women will be like, my husband's either with me or he's against me. <laughs> I mean, you know, really, if you think about it, I mean, what woman is going to allow her husband to just kind of philander, you know, and go be with other women and go hang all over them and, you know, and things like that? Because that's essentially what's being taught when we don't have a loyalty to Torah. Torah is the the tool that helps us remain loyal to Hashem. Torah is the tool that helps us to remain loyal to Hashem. But if you're trying to be loyal to Hashem and you're not related to Him, you're not connected to Him, you haven't devoted yourself to Him, I mean, this is like not good. Because what what relationship is your observance of Torah established on? It's no relationship at all. So Shaul is really big on on these on this understanding, this concept, this very concept that we're talking about right now. Why are you forsaking the establishment of a relationship 
and then you're wanting to go after all of the the stuff that is connected to that relationship. I mean, it's like trying to have, you know, a the benefits of a timeshare and you haven't even purchased a timeshare. Like, you don't own this. So what are you doing? You can't just walk up to a car lot and just drive off in the car. Because number one, you don't have any keys. Number two, you will get arrested. Number three, I mean, you're stealing. I mean, what in the world? You know, go pay for the car, sign for it, you know, do all the documentation, the paperwork. That's what conversion is. Documentation, paperwork, you're signing for it. You've entered into the purchase because we were all bought with a price. The only problem is it's not being taught what follows that procedure. If the Messiah and he did purchase us, what does that mean? You know, it's just kind of like, all right, everyone's been bought here. Okay, so who's who's uh, giving Mashiach, you know, what he purchased? You know, when we go to the store, we pay for our groceries. Do we leave our groceries there? Shalom that we do, unless we go back and get them, right? But, you know, I'm just giving a ton of examples just to kind of help with clarity on this. Because, again, to finish my thought on the groceries, you pay for your groceries, but you don't take them home. You leave them there at the store. You get in your car and you drive away. That's essentially what we're doing to Mashiach when he purchased us. We're like those groceries. He purchased us. He died for us. His blood was spilled. His blood became our atonement. The thing is, we have a choice whether or not to enter into that transaction. The way to enter into that transaction is to become in relationship, in Yehud, in covenant with Hashem. Enter in through the waters of the mikvah, enter into the circumcision, and you live your life by being faithful to that. You establish a relationship with Hashem. So if you don't have a relationship, then it's not good. I'm going to jump all the way to verse 31 in chapter 3. And I want to read this from the OJB, Orthodox Jewish Bible. Because this really is the point of what I'm saying. So to tie all my loose ends up and make a pretty little bow. Chapter 3, verse 31 says, Does it follow that we abolish the Torah and make it invalid through faithfulness? Chas shalom. God forbid, may it never be. Aderabah, which is to the contrary, we uphold the Torah. So there it is. So when we have Amunah and Hashem, when we desire to be faithful to Hashem, when we have our heart connected to Him and we desire to bless Him, we desire to know Him, we desire to be connected to Him and His Mashiach, because again, Yochanan chapter 17 beautifully illustrates that um, eternal life is knowing the Father and His Mashiach. And this is what we say in our bracha, actually, before reading the Torah and after we read the Torah. 
because the whole thing about these these blessings is this all about connecting us to eternal life. So an eternal life being connected to Hashem and us embracing the yoke of Torah and, and things like that. So taking his yoke upon us and seeking first the kingdom and its righteousness, you know, all these different things, these are all connected to why we say blessings, why we pray without ceasing. Because prayer being a labor and service of the heart, and when we utter words unto Hashem, we're actually bringing unification to Hashem's name. And we're taking part in that unification. So, you know, it's very important that we really, really understand, you know, what what we're entering into and what we're what our relationship should lead to, you know? And so imagine, you know, just saying all these prayers and not really loving Hashem. Imagine just, you know, eating kosher, but you're just eating kosher for the sake of, look at me, I'm eating kosher. Woohoo! Great. No pork for me. I don't do that pork stuff. You know, and it's just kind of like, why don't you do that pork stuff? You know, it's just like, well, you know, I just want to eat kosher. It's like, well, why do you want to eat kosher? Well, you know, I think it's pretty cool. You know, I want to be different and everything, you know. And so, yeah, that's why I do it. Okay, so why do you keep the Shabbat? I keep the Shabbat because I need a day off. Life is rough. And, uh, you know, them Jews, they figured it out. And it's just kind of like, wow, is that really? Is that really what we want to be known for? Is that really why we do what we do? So anyway, just to point out some things with this. So let's see here. Just trying to look. Oh, I'm going to look in my Sedua real quick because I want to read some things to us. Stand by while I reach for my Sidur. There is, uh, all of this information is actually in the Sidur for the blessings that we read before the Torah. So I'm going to go ahead and read this to us. All right. I'm going to go to Shacharit, Shacharit, morning prayers. And I'm going to go to the Torah service, which happens after the Taknun, the supplication prayer time. Comes from the word Tekina. Okay, um, let's see here. Where art thou, O commentary? Okay. I think it's actually under the Shabbat. I know it wherever the uh the blessing for the Torah is, we do it there. Okay, Minka for Shabbat. Shakari, here we go. All right. Yeah, this is where the commentary is. Okay, so if you go to your Shakari, 
morning prayer service for reading the Torah on Shabbat. This is what it says under reading of the Torah. It says Moshe and his court ordained that the Torah be read publicly on the mornings of the Shabbat, Yom Shani, which is Monday, and Yom Chamishi, which is fifth day, which is Thursday. So the seventh day, the second day, and the fifth day. Okay. So what do we got? Two, five, seven. So it's interesting. Two, five, and seven are the days that we read this. We read the Torah publicly. So it says, so that no three-day period would ever go by without a minimum of Torah study. Now I want to bring up something on this. Where is my teachings of the Talmud for Shemot? Here we go. Actually, this comes from the parasha this week. Uh, let's see here. Shuffle my books around. Rukashim. All right. Talks about we went three days without water in the wilderness. So Parsha Beshalak. All right. Parsha Beshalak is in the teens of uh, starting in chapter 13 for uh, the book of Shemot, which is Exodus. All right, here we go. So this is from chapter 15, verse 22. It says they went for a three-day period in the wilderness, but they did not find water. Commentary says the word water hints to Torah. Thus, when our pasuk, which is verse, says that the Jews went for a three-day period, but they did not find water, it means that they went three days without studying Torah. Since... They did not study Torah for three days. They became spiritually exhausted. I want you to say spiritually exhausted. So when you think about going three days without water, which is three days without Torah, you will become spiritually exhausted. Hence, we understand why Shaul will later in this letter to the Romans, he would write that the Torah is spiritual. So spiritual drink. So we come, we become spiritually exhausted when we go three days without hearing the Torah, which is our spiritual drink. So just think about that for a moment, because how much in the physical do we actually drink water? This will give us a pattern of how much Torah we should be drinking. Just like we drink water, we should, should we be drinking the words of Torah? The footnote on this comment here, this comes from Bava Kama 82a, by the way, this whole point of three days without Torah. You don't want to go any more than three days without hearing it. So if it's Yom Shani, you haven't heard Torah since Shabbat, it's time to read some Torah today. And then if it's Yom Hamishi, the fifth day, it's time to read some Torah since you haven't heard Torah since Yom Shani. And when Shabbat comes, we're going to hear Torah again. So, you know, we'll make sure we keep that rotation going. So if you stay linked up to the 257 pattern, 
your spirit will be pretty good. If you go more than the two, five, seven pattern, you're really going to be doing really well. I mean, an Aliyah day keeps the Yetzahara away as a prominent rabbi of our time who happens to be my Abba. Rabbi Griffin, a.k.a. Captain Yisrael of the Sarshalom Avengers, he brings that up. And that's why he does an Aliyah every day. He broadcasts it and he posts it for the world so that that way, no matter where you are in this 257 pattern of keeping within hearing the Torah within this three day period throughout your week, that there's an Aliyah available for you. Because the Torah portions that we read on a weekly basis are split up into seven parts. So that way there's a portion of Torah every day. You have a, a cup of water to drink every day. It's called an Aliyah of the Parsha. And so shouts out to Rabbi Griffin, who is so amazing for providing that. And so, Amen. Blessed be the name of Hashem for his servant. All right. So anyway... The footnote on spiritual exhaustion, it says the only way to overcome the Yetzirah is by studying Torah. You know, your evil inclination is the Yetzirah. Your desires, your impulses that pull you away into sins and transgressions of all kinds is called your evil inclination. The only way to overcome that. I literally had this happen to me, you know, uh, actually, as of this podcast just yesterday, I was feeling a little like my impulses were going crazy. I was having just some some temptations, just kind of coming in my thoughts, you know, and nothing came into action, but just in the thoughts. And I'm like, whoa, take thoughts captive, right? And so what I ended up doing, I just I just played the Aliyah Day. And after playing the Aliyah Day, I was in a whole nother world. I was all like amped up, you know. And just hype, you know, really. So, I mean, it literally does work. And this is kind of one of the interesting things, too, with the whole lawless mindset. You have no ammunition against your own impulses. So furthermore, how can you teach people to be in a relationship with God when you can't even master your own impulses? That's a Selah. I mean, I remember being a part of the church system and I was constantly defeated. But yet I'm up here like, oh, I got the victory in Messiah, you know, and just proclaiming. I tell you what, God is good all the time. And it's like, yeah, but I'm so defeated right now. So the thing is, is our Yetzirah is really good because it works within the things that we actually want to do. You know, there are passions and ambitions that God has built into our flesh that we're actually supposed to express, you know, uh, low hanging fruit. Let's just go with that. The the fact that a man and a woman want to be together and have passionate, you know, expressions towards one another, that's supposed to happen, because if that didn't happen, it'd be really hard to have children. You know, so if there's no, you know, marital uh, relations going on, it's really hard to say, you know, hey, there's a child here, you know, or for the two to become one flesh kind of thing. So you're supposed to want to do that. 
because Hashem made this thing called Kiddushin, marriage. He modeled it, for goodness sake, in uh, Adam and Hava, the very first two people that he created. He said, hey, man shouldn't be alone. He should have a wife, and they should be able to freely love one another. So anyway... Yetzirah plays within all these things, and then there's mindsets out there to say, "No, don't get married, and try to live for God on your own, and don't do your own thing." And it's just kind of like, okay, so how you doing with uh, overcoming all those impulses and passions within you? So it's just something to think about. So if you really look into the ways of Torah, it really leads you into paths that properly channel those passions, those drives, no matter what they are. If you want to be a person who's ambitious, you know, you have things that you really want to strive and achieve. There is a Torah path for helping you do that. So that way you don't end up, you know, lording yourself over someone. You don't end up becoming arrogant. You don't end up becoming, you know, a haughty, well, haughty and arrogant. It's kind of the same thing. Pretty close. Uh, you don't end up uh, mistreating someone, abusing someone, uh, being uh, unscrupulous in business, you know, trying to climb your way to the top of the corporate ladder with a very uh, improper business ethic. You know, there's all these different things on so many different categories. These are in the Torah. But yet, if you don't know how to study the Torah, because the Torah is not just what's written in Genesis through Deuteronomy. There's there's commentary, humash, there's the rabbis, the sages, you know, it's called Talmud, which, by the way, is what we're reading right now. We're reading a snippet of Talmud from Baba Kama 82A about why we don't go no more than three days without reading the Torah. So anyway, just to get back off of the tangent, but I tangent because Furthermore, let me, while while I'm tangenting, I'm going to tangent right now from my tangent as I get back on track. That when you, when you hear Jewish teachings, you know, different rabbis and and things like that, and, you know, other um, Jews who are sharing what they're learning, tangents are totally a thing. I just want to put that out there because reading in the Midrash Rabbah, or reading in the Talmud, what will end up happening is there's a question posed about a verse. Question leads to, okay, I'm going to answer this question. But first, as I answer this question, I want to look at this particular section of the Torah or the Tanakh right here. And then I want to make a comment on that. And then I want to make another comment about that same thing which is going to really lead me to my answer to this question, which is actually going to send us into another answer. Seriously, I'm going to, I'm going to share this with you. Uh, I'm going to go right here because in the, uh, the Midrash Rabbah, I think I took a picture of it. Let me see if I did. Bezrat Hashem, I took a picture of it. Do, 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 do. This is from Leklaka. Let's see here how we do. Okay, yeah. 44.1, Midrash about 44.1. So it says, After these events, the word of Hashem came to Abraham in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abraham, I am a shield for you. 
your reward is very great. All right, talking about tangents, right? Listen to this. The Midrash will quote a verse from Psalms, tangent number one, and explain it homiletically, tangent number two, as alluding to Abraham, using it to explain our verse, tangent number three. However, here we go, another tangent. The Midrash first makes two comments concerning the verse in Psalms. Tangent number four, that follow the simple meaning of the verse. So we're reading Bereshit 15.1, and it says what we're going to do to explain this is we're going to go to Psalms, and then we're going to explain that Psalm homiletically, alluding to Abraham, and then we're going to make two comments concerning the Psalm and then we're going to get back to Bereshit 15.1. So anyway, I just want to point out tangents are a thing. All right. So now that I'm done with my tangent, back to our Shemot 15.22 teachings of the Talmud, Baba Kama 82a, on three days without Torah, spiritual exhausting. It says, since the Jews did not study Torah for three days, they became exhausted and could not fight against their Yetzirah. What I love about that, and here's my comment to the comment. (laughs) All right, so just so we're tracking. When you really think about what the complaints were in the wilderness, when they were like, you, we want meat. Hashem, did you bring us out here to die? Hashem, like... We're thirsty. You know, we're hungry. Hashem, are you with us? We don't want the land. You got to really think, how long has it been since they've partaken of the Torah? Did they even eat their portion of manna that morning? So that's just kind of a Selah, right? You know, because if you've overcome your Yetzirah, which is subjecting it to being harnessed as a um, as a plow, so to speak, like the ox that pulls the plow. That's what your Yetzirah really is meant for. It's really meant to be your strengthening to fulfill the spiritual matters that Hashem has commanded us. But again, you put the cart before the ox when you don't even have a relationship with Hashem to even have a environment, have an environment to do this in. So if you are just driven by your Yetzirah and it's like, yeah, I want to use my Yetzirah to do the tour. It's like, okay, do you even love Hashem? Again, that's always got to be the question. Do you do what you do for the sake of Hashem, for the sake of heaven, for the sake of he who commanded it? That's what we said in our Torah blessing. Torah Lishma, like for its own sake. Like that's why we study the Torah for its own sake, because we love Hashem and we want to do what he is pleased with. The Torah gives us what Hashem is pleased with. So therefore, when we fulfill it, we're fulfilling the pleasures of Hashem, the will and the desire of Hashem. But we cannot put ourselves in a position of pleasing Hashem if we don't love him, if we aren't 
one with him, if we haven't embraced him, if we haven't given our devotion to him. Otherwise, we're just having an exercise in futility. Because we're only doing it. I mean, I don't know why you would really do any of this Torah stuff if you weren't really with God, you know. So, again, that's what our Romans verse is speaking about. But anyway, I'm going to keep going here with this comment. It says, the prophets among them therefore made a rule that we must read the Torah on Yom Shani, which is Monday, Yom Hamishi, which is Thursday, and Yom HaShabbat. And so that three days should not pass without learning the Torah. So this is just something that I I think is just so incredible to teach us about our Torah studying that it's no more than three days to which my comment was, is this why Mashiach was only in the grave for no more than three days? Because, I mean, how long can we go without the living Torah? You know, so anyway, so back to the Siddur on the commentary of the Bracha for reading from the Torah, where it says the reading of the Torah is a three day. You know, we don't go any more than three days without it. It says the enactment was in response to the historical event, to a historical event. Scripture tells that the Jewish people traveled for three days and they did not find water. Guess where they're relating? Shemot fifteen twenty two. what we just read. Anyway, so that's literally in the comment here. And it says, the sages teach that water is a symbolic term for Torah. I was listening to a TED Talk tangent, and it was saying that, you know, have a mind like water. It was this whole thing about mathematics and how math is like a universal language. You can make music with it. You can communicate with it and all that. And it was just kind of like if you have a mind like water, you don't you don't just see two plus two is four. You have one plus three is four. You have four plus zero is four. You know, you have four times one is four. Two times two is four. You know, um, what else? Eight divided by two is four. Like try to look at all these different ways to get to four. And if you have a mind like water, you can find all those things, which is the beautiful thing about the Torah. You can take one verse and you can go all over the place and it'll bring you back to that one verse. You'll just make circles. So anyway, have a mind like water from this TED talk that I got to listen to. I was just like, seriously, because because the Torah is water. So we're all supposed to have Torah on our mind. (laughs) That's amazing. Anyway, so the sages teach that water is is a symbolic term for Torah. And as a result of their strenuous travel, The people did not study Torah for three days with the result that they rebelled against God. Listen, you rebel against God when you don't study Torah. Just say la. And again, the Torah became flesh and that's Mashiach. So if you don't embrace Mashiach Yeshua, you will rebel against Hashem, which is really what happened as we can see from the different sects of Jews that Mashiach ministered to. Not to, um, it's important to note, that's what I'm going to say. It's important to note that not all the Pharisees rejected Mashiach. Nachdimon, the guy who spoke to him, who is codified in Talmud, by the way, 
is uh, one of the people who ensured that Mashiach's body was in a tomb. Yeah, because there's a rich man named Yosef who him and Noctimon together and a bunch of other people made sure Mashiach's body got wrapped up in a white linen cloth and put into a grave. And then all the Miriams and the rest of the ladies would come after the Shabbat and they would do all the spices and everything to make sure he's properly buried. But they didn't get the memo, apparently. I mean, who wouldn't? I mean, you just realized the death of a man here. But we know he was more than a man. He was what kind of what manner of man is this is the best way to answer that question, because that's what Kepha said. They're like, what in the world? Like you just calmed the wind and the waves in a tumultuous storm. Like, what man can do that? What man multiplies fish and loaves for thousands of people and then has leftovers? What man, What matter of man raises the dead and heals the sick? And talks about before Abraham was, he is. I mean, think about that. And the crowd's response to that was like, you're not even yet 50. How can you say you're older than Abraham? Because... Here we go. If you go to the old Torah, what does it say about Abraham? Abraham was in the mind of Hashem before Hashem made creation. So if Mashiach is saying, and he did, before Abraham was, I am. Like before Abraham was in the mind of Hashem, which was before creation, I was already there. How are you going to be before creation is even thought of and then be in existence. So I don't know what to do with that information, but I just want to point that out. Going on back to the commentary. So having no Torah equals rebelling against God. Isn't it interesting that Christianity, the church, they they all rebel against God. They don't teach Kashrut. They don't teach the festivals. They don't teach the Torah portions. I mean, it's it's really it's really interesting. There's there's lots of rebellion. They don't keep the Sabbath. Matter of fact, they changed it. So yeah, not studying Torah, rejecting the Mashiach. And by the way, did you know if you tried to tell a Christian the name of the Messiah is Yeshua, they still refer to him as Jesus. They refuse to embrace Yeshua. Which is a problem when you think about Jesus has only been an actual name for like maybe a couple hundred years at best. And uh, before that, what was Yeshua called? He was called Yeshua. So that's interesting. I'm just saying my own self without even saying say I mean, do I'm I mean, do you hear what's happening right now? Like if you really connect the dots to all of these tangents. We're talking about having a, a relationship with Hashem. We're talking about what is truly the righteousness of God that we're supposed to walk in. And there are people who claim and and seem to walk in the righteousness of God but yet they don't love him they don't think about him they don't they do things out of rotes 
do things in in a ritualistic manner, ceremonially, and it's just kind of like, okay, so you lifted up the kiddish and you said a bracha, but did you really mean that? You know, this is the crux of what Shaul is getting into. I mean, let me read that again. But if our unrighteousness brings out and highlights the Zedek Olamim Hashem, the righteousness of Hashem, what shall we say? Rhetorically speaking, is God unjust in inflicting his wrath? I speak from a human standpoint, but Hashem forbid, for then how could we, or how could Hashem be a righteous judge of all the earth? Go back to verse four. Let God be true and every man be a liar, even as it is written, in order that you might be vindicated that you speak and shall overcome when you judge. So I mean, it's just kind of like, okay, because having a form of righteousness, but having no connection to Hashem by default becomes unrighteousness. So our unrighteousness just throws the whole thing out of whack. Anyway, this is why Shaul is hard to understand because, I mean, it's like circular logic and reasoning and like these very um, in-depth points. I mean, it's it's a it's an argument. You got to follow his pattern and his scheme, you know, like the poetic way of writing the A, B, A, B rhyme scheme, you know. And then there's a C in there at some point. You're just like, we were rhyming every other line. And now you just threw in this line and it doesn't rhyme with either sets of lines before, you know. And so Shaul is is very stylistic like that. So. After the comment about not studying the Torah, rebelling against God in the Siddur, it says, to prevent such happenings in the future, Moshe and his colleagues instituted a, the regular Torah reading. It's also why we have Torah portions. So that, that way we have a systematic way of keeping ourselves actively engaged in the word of God without it being too overwhelming and without it being too just disorganized. Talmud, Bava Kama, 82a. I mean, that's our, that's our tractate today, y'all. Babakama 82a teaches that in the early years of the second temple era, Ezra the scribe instituted the Shabbat Minka reading. He was like, you know, I know it's supposed to go no more than three days out here in Torah. I want to add in an extra time that we should read Torah on Minka of Shabbat so that the people should not while away the day idly. It's like, when the day of Shabbat comes, this is a day you were to keep holy. You don't really want to get into mundane things. You don't want to really be planning things. You don't want to keep your mind focused on other things apart from the word of God. This is your time to pray. This is your time to study. This is your time to have meditation, reflection, rest with Hashem. You know, you're in community check up on the community, encourage one another, you know, come together for minion, have Oneg, you know, and you're supposed to do this. And so to make sure that you continue, even after shul is over, 
come back for Minka and make sure that you can keep this height going. Keep this momentum going that, that started on the previous night. Because Shabbat starts sundown of sixth day into seventh day. Which is where we light the candles. We say many brachot. We have a wonderful meal. And we kind of study the night away. Then we come to shul early the next morning. And have our time in minion, you know, with the ten or more men. And we say many blessings and we read from the Torah scroll. We have, you know, the services and then we have our Oneg time where we can talk and fellowship and keep everything Shabbat focused. You know, don't don't spend this time talking about the football game. Don't spend this time talking about, you know, home and gardening and uh, all kinds of crafts and what you're going to build and you know, uh, what you do for a living at work, you know, you don't spend your time doing that. And so Ezra was like, you know what, let's have a, let's have a, a, a afternoon time where we get the Torah scroll out and we read from the Torah scroll. That'll, that'll help stimulate and encourage more Torah study time and focus on Hashem. So just kind of thinking about the backdrop and the implications of what happens when you add in this extra service that Ezra talked about. We at Tzar Shalom actually have a Minka service. We do the uh, the prayer service of the Minka. So it's really cool. And it says, he also instituted that on Yom Shanis and Yom Chamishis, Mondays and Thursdays, Three people be called to the Torah to read a total of at least 10 verses. Prior to that, the weekday reading had required that one man read three verses or that three men read at least one verse each. It is noteworthy that the minimum number of verses instituted by Ezra, 10, is in honor of the 10 people who should be supported by the community in order that they be free to dedicate themselves to Torah study and service and be in synagogue so that there would always be a minion for service. Wow. So like a, a 10 man army here. Could you imagine if we had 10 people who were able to be actively engaged in Torah study all week and Make sure that they're always in attendance for Torah to be studied and read and prayers to be done. Because there's certain prayers that you're not you're not able to do if you don't have a minion. You know, if you don't have 10 people, you know, there are certain prayers you can't do out loud. You know, the standing prayer, the Shemone Esrei, the Amidah, that prayer, for example, there's a repetition that happens. Where, you know, we say it the first time silently and then the chazan, the prayer leader, will say it out loud the second time. And he usually and typically would do it in the Hebrew so that everybody would have a chance to pray together in Hebrew. But if you don't have a minion present, you don't get to do that second time through out loud. You also don't get to say the Kaddish. You know, and so there's these different things. So if you think about the whole fact of having, you know, the Torah being read, you know, those words, they go out, they bring purification. The Torah is a mikvah. Every word that we read is like pouring fresh water over ourselves, drinking fresh cups of water at the same time. 
It's like this shower with a cup of water drink, you know, like, and again, this is all spiritually beneficial. So you won't be able to notice it in the physical unless you have eyes to see and ears to hear. Which is what Mashiach always said, because things that Mashiach talked about, you know, it wasn't it wasn't easily grasped. You had to really work and go get it like the manna. The manna fell every day for the Jews, you know, but we had to go out and get it. You know, and depending on your refined level of character and your relationship with the Shem, depending on if you had to cook it or not. Because for some people, it was all set. It was really close at hand. And it was like, all right, I'm just going to pick up the manna and eat it. For some people, they picked it up and they had to cook it. You know, for some people, they had to pick it up. They had to prepare it before cooking like a granary, like milling it out. And then they had to cook it. This is all teaching in the Midrash. This is, you know what, instead of just saying all this, so you don't know that, so you don't think that I'm MSU on this. Again, teachings of the Talmud, it talks about that there are three different kinds of manna. Check this out. This is on 16.4, Shemot 16.4. It says, Behold, I shall rain down for you food from heaven. It literally says, Lechem min hashemayim. So instead of saying hamotzi lecha min ha'aretz, in the wilderness we would say hamotzi lecha min ha'shemayim. I mean, you could. I mean, I don't know if they did or not, but that's what the text says. Hamotzi lecha min ha'shemayim. So anyway, um, the comment here from the teachings of the Talmud, Humash, it says our pasuk describes manna as lechem, which literally means bread. We learn from this that the manna came down in the form of bread that was already baked. However, another pasuk describes the manna as ugot, which refers to round cakes that are not yet baked. And some, or yeah, not yet baked. And the same pasuk also tells us, and they ground the manna in a mill, which teaches that the manna came down as kernels. And the Jews had to grind it into flour. The answer to these contradictions is that each pasuk is referring to a different group of people. Our pasuk refers to the righteous people. Since they were righteous, they did not have to do any work and got manna as ready-made bread. The second pasuk discusses the average people. They got manna as unbaked cakes which they would bake. That pasuk also refers to the wicked people. These people got the manna as kernels, which required a lot of work since they had to grind the kernels into flour before they could bake it into bread. This comes from Yoma 75a. So anyway, I think that's just absolutely incredible to Think about the implications of the Torah that we study and why we say the prayers and the blessings that we speak and recite before we do certain commandments. I mean, it's all to connect us to Hashem, because when we say Baruch Atah Adonai, if you take the first letter of each phrase, Baruch, you have the letter Bet, Atah, you have the letter Aleph, Adonai, you have the letter Yod. So you have Bet, Aleph, Yod. 
rearrange those letters to Aleph, Bet, Yod, you have Avi, you have my father. So by the Ruach HaKodesh, which is the Holy Spirit of God, the Word of God, Mashiach, all the same, we are adopted as sons. That's actually later in our letter here to the Romans. And we call out Abba, which is Avi, when you make it personal. So anyway, so that's literally what we're saying. Every time we say Baruch Atah night, we're saying, my father, you are my dad. You are my king. You are my Lord. You are my master. I seek to bless you. I seek to connect with you. I seek to communicate with you because the word Baruch actually is a agricultural term, which means to graft in. So you're saying, Father, graft me into you. And when we also speak these Hebrew words and we speak these verses, we're also entering into the mikvah of the very word of God, the very spirit of God. So we're washing ourselves in his spirit. So to go back to what we have covered today before our time is up on this uh, specific verse that we read, we read Agarit to the Romans chapter three, verse five says, but if our unrighteousness brings out and highlights, let me read it uh, here, brings out and highlights, Slika, brings out and highlights the righteousness of God, what shall we say? So like, you know, what what can we really say if our unrighteousness highlights the righteousness of God? I mean, what is that statement really saying? If we're unrighteous, we're highlighting God's righteousness. Then he goes on to say, rhetorically speaking. So the there's already you don't have to answer this question. Is God unjust and inflicting wrath? Because, of course, we're unrighteous. We see that God is righteous. And so by our unrighteousness, we've chose to highlight that we have failed in God's righteousness. So therefore, if God inflicts his wrath, then he's just for doing that because we already know that we should be walking in his righteousness because it has been revealed to us and it's revealed by the fact that we are not walking in it. So we know we should be loving our neighbor. We know we should treat people with respect. However, if we don't, do any of those things, then it's like, here's a little highlight. You have mistreated someone. There's a, there's going to be consequences for that. You have not loved your neighbor. There's consequences for that, you know, and it just so happens it's codified and written in the written and the oral part of the Torah. So there we go. And so he's saying, I'm just speaking from a human standpoint, you know, so Comparing apples to apples kind of thing. Like we can just see this in our own just, you know, basic logic. So he goes on in verse six saying, Chasve Shalom, Hashem forbid. For then how could Hashem be the righteous judge of all the earth? How can Hashem be truly righteous, you know, if He's allowing our unrighteousness to highlight his righteousness and then him inflict wrath on us. So in other words, there's got to be an answer to keep us from walking in unrighteousness. There's got to be something. And it just so happens 
the something that is the answer for that, we've rejected. So what do you do with that? How do you fix that? And how do you repair that? Brukashem. Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. Baruch atah Adonai. Eloheinu melech haolam. Asher natan lanu Torah emet. Vekaye olam natabetokhenu. Baruch atah Adonai. Noten ha Torah. Amen.